There we go. That's a good that's a good sensor. It is. Anyways, are we ready for episode thirty? Let's do it. Hello everybody, welcome to another edition of four. Thirty in the morning. This is your boy Ben. And Pat is back as well. Guys, episode thirty. The ho- dirty thirty. The dirty thirty. Hopefully everybody checked out the uh our archive special that we posted. Yes. That'll be up. Which is kind of the precursor to this episode. Yes, yeah, so if you guys haven't checked out, we didn't lead with episode thirty this week. We led with the from the archives, Bob Lazar tapes. If you like bad audio quality, please check it out. It's gonna be pretty funny. It is pretty funny. We're but- pretty toasted during it. It's completely unedited and it's you know something we did two years ago we decided to start a podcast and we recorded one episode and and now we're back and now we're back so (laughs) uh hopefully if you guys didn't want to check this out we're going to go over some of the same material that we covered on that one on this episode so you guys aren't you're missing out but you're not missing out completely if you don't check that one out so definitely definitely anyways the dirty 30 Big episode today. Very big episode. Now, you said you got some news stories for us. I do have some news stories. I have some pretty cool news stories. I have three of them. Three of them. Now, do you want to go with three this time? Because yesterday, you said, or last week, you said you had two. I know. I had a rough time last week. Are we going to be, we're going to get three out this time? Yeah, we're going to get three out this time. All righty. All right. So, this is the one I was just telling you about. Okay. So, this is from uh, Navy.Military.com. I think that's what it is. Something like that. The USS Monetary seizes illicit... illicit Illicit weapons from the North Arabian Sea. And you gotta check out the picture of this, bro. This is insane. Okay. The guided missile cruiser, cruiser USS Monetary, sees an illicit shipment of weapons from the stateless Dihau in international waters of the North Arabian Sea on May 6th and 7th of 2021. And this is insane. The cache of weapons included dozens of advanced Russian-made anti-tank guided missiles, thousands of Chinese Type 56 assault rifles, hundreds of PKM machine guns, sniper rifles, rocket-propelled grenade launchers. Other weapons components included uh, advanced optical sites. So those were just illegal weapons that they found? Yes. On a boat? Yeah. Being smuggled? Yeah, and I'm going to show you this picture, and it's absolutely incredible. All right, you this is to, insane. You have to send this to me. i got to get this on the Twitter. Look at this. Holy <laughs> hell. Yeah, we have to get that on the Twitter. And there's more, like, in the boat, too. That's insanity. Yeah, dude. And this, this was this was just illegal illegal arms being moved. I, I believe so. Yes. So much for gun dams. I mean, man, shit. That's exactly exactly. The original source and an intended destination of the material is currently under investigation. The material is in U.S. custody, awaiting final d- disposition. So yeah, I'm. We should definitely keep up on this yeah. to see where it was going. That's that's like enough to arm like an entire army, basically. <laughs> All right, dude. That's I've never seen like something <laughs> like that. It's like something out of a movie, man. Like Lord of War. You ever see that movie? No, that's with Nick Cage. Yeah. Yeah. No, I haven't seen that or one. Or War Dogs. I haven't seen that one either. That's really good. You should watch that when you get home tonight. Yeah, I gotta watch that. Yeah. Anyways, I don't know what to say. That's that's crazy. Like that right. there are military bases don't have that many weapons right. on hand. That's right. We gotta find out where those were going. Now they're not gonna tell us where they were going because Right. It could be it could be something really bad that we're not supposed to know about. Right. Anyways, I got one I wanna get in real quick. Sure. I'm getting this one from NBC News, so highly reputable, <laughs> highly reputable uh, news media site. Anyways, Florida man <laughs> crashes stolen police car, takes another one during wild pursuit. Suspect Xavier Javern Cummings led authorities on a chase in two stolen police vehicles, authorities say. Okay, uh, so he stole one initially, you said? He stole one initially. For what? To get away from something? To get away from the cops. So it sounds like he stole he stole two police cruisers and led officials on a multi-county chase. 
Jesus. It is not clear if he has a lawyer. Well, he should be provided one, right? The law. So apparently they were called for a disturbance at the hotel. The cops were called. The okay. guy causing the disturbance was this guy. He stole one of the cop cars as they responded. How do they allow that? I don't know. I mean. Like, what are you doing? Cause a diversion real quick. And then if the cops get out of the car, they'll, they'd always leave them running. The time they take the keys out and lock it. Yeah, but like. You got to have some balls to pull this one off. How many different cops on one guy here? Well, it sounds like it was probably just one. Usually, if it's just a disturbance, you're only going to get one squad car out unless it's somebody barricading themselves in or a shots fired call. Okay. So if it's just a disturbance, it's probably just be one. Yeah, I'm curious how many cops showed up. Probably just one unit responding. Okay. So if one guy gets out of the car, say it's a one-man unit. Okay, I could see that if it's a one-guy unit. Then you unit. sneak around, hop in the car real quick. Then he crashed it while being chased by other cops. Somehow he got a second cruiser, though. He got into a second cop car. <laughs> what is going on? This is like straight out of GTA, though. Think about this. Like this you, is you, hilarious. You've done that in GTA where you yes being pursued and you took the cop car and you drove away. Right, yes. This is what this guy was doing. That's hilarious. Now, obviously, he got arrested at the end of it. Surprisingly, he didn't die. Right. Luckily, but hopefully, he didn't kill anyone else in the process. Doesn't sound like he killed anybody else. He was just right, stealing stealing cruisers. That's crazy, but, man. But, of course, this, this could only happen in Florida. <laughs> right. Whenever, Florida. whenever it says Florida man, it's going to be crazy. Florida man back at it again. Right. Anyways, what do you got? You got two more? Yeah. So, you ever hear about that Chinese rocket? Yes. Going on? Yes. Yeah. So, out of control, Chinese rocket has re-entered Earth's atmosphere. The 100-foot-tall, 22-metric-ton Chinese Long March 5B rocket that launched the first chunk of Beijing's new space station last month has re-entered Earth's atmosphere near Maldives? The Maldives. Maldives. It's an island chain in the Indian Ocean. China's manned uh, space engineering office reported. Scientists, amateur satellite trackers, and and the Pentagon have been monitoring the dead rocket stage location for over a week in mid-fears it would re-enter over a populated area. U.S. Space Command... Wow. U.S. Space Command, which helps... Locate space junk and man-made satellites in Earth orbit, said the rocket re-entered over the Arabian Peninsula at approximately 10.15 p.m. Eastern Time, adding it was unknown if the debris impacted land or water. So, That's, could you imagine if that thing landed in, like, Chicago? Like, that that was, that would be yeah. That would be catastrophic. Exactly. That would be terrible. And they had no clue. Like, going into it, coming down, they just knew it was coming down sometime, somewhere. They didn't know when or where Dude, it was China's gotta get their down. shit together, man. Are you kidding me right now? Now the the World Space Organization are heavily sanctioning China over this right now. So they, you know, they, they don't they operate should. up to standards. Oh my gosh. But of course there's there's no there's no structure in the world. There's not there's China's not gonna, just gonna keep doing it. There's this. not gonna be any repercussions. Exactly. But no that was something I was keeping an eye on all week. I was kinda just wondering like that would be my luck. Right. Oh shit. <laughs> it's like the cartoons, uh the thing. Yeah. The, the the what are those things called? Anvil. Yeah. Coming down on your on your yeah. shit. <laughs> That would have been my luck. Or it would be like, like it would land on my car like I'm trying to go to work or something. Right. I'd be like, shit, I got to call off. How do I explain this to my union steward? Right. <laughs> Take a picture of it. Like, yeah. you, you ain't going to believe this shit. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, I, that was one I was keeping an eye on all week. So I'm happy it landed where it landed in the ocean. It doesn't sound like it hit any land. Right. But still, India's not that far away. Right. It's not. So that, that could get kind of scary. Anyways, I got one more I'm going to get in. Sure. From another gem of a news media site, BBC. 
com. <laughs> right. Shark attack survivor wins right to keep tooth left in surfboard. So this guy was surfing out in the ocean. He got his leg bit off by a shark. In the process, a sh- the shark wedged its tooth into the surfboard. The surfboard. And he was able to recover his surfboard, which is kind of surprising. You would think that he wouldn't be getting a surfboard back. Right. But I mean, even if he, I guess if you were on the board, that you could use that to get away from the shark quickly. Probably better than just swimming, you would think. Right. But the, the sharks, one of the tooth got wedged into the board and it was taken from the shark. Like he lost his tooth on the board, basically. Right. Due to a series of environmental laws, you're not allowed to have body parts from an endangered species. Okay. So where was this again? This one took place in. This was not the United this States. This was in Australia. Okay. Because in the United States, we have necklaces with freaking shark teeth on them. Yeah. Okay. Australian man who was almost killed in an attack by a great white shark has won the right to keep the tooth the animal left wedged in his surfboard. <laughs> Are you kidding me? He was in a coma for 10 days over this. Uh, states rule, state rules ban people from possessing parts of a protected species, but he was granted an exception on this one. So did the shark come and like give testimony? I don't know, but I, it, it that's like the dumbest rule. Obviously, like the, this, this the, one, the, the, the feelings of the shark need to be, need to be you know, need to be brought to light because here. Because sharks are people too. Sharks are have, people too. They should have equal rights. They have feelings. They have a soul. They should be there to say their side. There could have been a legit reason why the shark bit the guy in the first place. No, the shark probably doesn't want to do that because how is that not assault? That's true, but we don't know the whole story because we don't know the shark's side. Let me ask you this. If you're out on the street and you're going to get in a fight and a guy and he's going to bite your leg off, but he's going to leave, he's going to lose a teeth in the process. Are you going to keep that tooth? Is that man entitled to that tooth? Okay. Okay, first of all, the guy invaded the shark's home. True. Okay. He, didn't, he, he wasn't given permission to be there. He was not given permission to be there. So he could be defending himself. He don't. He, he doesn't know what that guy is. I guess is. you're he right. He doesn't know what's you're going right. on. You're right. So you know what? Hey, I'm attacking this guy. But, you know, we're trying to get rid of the standard ground laws. We're trying not to use deadly force <laughs> on home invaders these days. Because right. your property does not matter as much as that home invader's life. So I think the shark's in the wrong. I don't know, man. Because I think I think it's the shark's fault. Like, But I think... I think there's reasonable doubt on both sides so i think that i think the shark needs to be there yeah we need to find we need to get an independent arbitrator on this one right anyways that that's my news for the that's all i got so nice. you got one more yeah this is from npr oh my god we have <laughs> the holy trinity of shitty news sources <laughs> right but this is cool an extraordinary discovery archaeologists <laughs> Archaeologists find Neanderthal remains in a cave near Rome. Okay. Archaeologists discovered the fossilized remains of nine Neanderthals at a prehistoric cave site south of Rome, the Italian Cultural Ministry announced on Saturday. The oldest of the remains date between 90,000 and 100,000 years ago. Supposedly. While the other eight are believed to be younger, dating from 50,000 to 68,000 years ago. Okay. The findings include skulls, skull fragments, two teeth, and other bone fragments. The fossilized bones were found at the Guarti Cave in San Felice Ceresio, which is roughly f- 56 miles southeast of Rome. Interesting. Yeah, it's crazy, right? The, dis- the ministry said the latest discovery confirms Guarti's cave is one of the most significant places in the world for the history of Neanderthals. Neanderthals died roughly 40,000 years ago, but small traces of DNA still exist in modern humans. Yeah, it's because the aliens messed up our creation a little bit. Right. The excavation work at the site started in 2019 and explored parts 
parts of the cave that hadn't been studied before. I guess they found this cave in like 1932 and they started working on it then. Wow. Yeah. Italian culture minister Dario Franceschini called the finding an extraordinary discovery that will be the talk of the world. So, yeah, this is pretty crazy. Yeah. Brought to you first on 430 in the morning via NPR. Right. I don't know. It's always interesting to hear that type of stuff. You've always got it. I love that shit. Always got the archaeological. Is that the word? Archaeological. Archaeological. You're, you're like a modern day Indiana Jones with all these new stories that you're bringing to the table, man. Man, it's just it's it's interesting shit. It is know? interesting shit. It's cool to see. Now the Neanderthals are an interesting piece of humanity. Yeah, I don't know a lot about the Neanderthals. Well, the problem is, is that they were kind of the precursor to us because the aliens were trying to create like a good work worker race. Yeah, I, I figured they were. They were like, and yeah. the Neanderthals were kind of the precursor to to humans. Like are. they were, they, they tried them out. They realized that you know the Neanderthals aren't working out how we thought they were going to work out. Right. We got a new species, Homo sapiens sapien, that we're going to go with instead because the Neanderthals were Homo sapien neanderthalis, mm-hmm. which is a, a very close relative but a subspecies, and the evidence between homo sapien sapiens and homo sapien neanderthalus they were on the world at the same time but very briefly so were the neanderthals like a ape type or were they more intelligent than that? They were very similar to humans. Okay. The the modern day depiction or the the caricature of them being kind of like cavemen, like half ape, half humans, isn't exactly accurate. Okay. They're very closely related to the humans, just a little bit stouter and a little bit hairier, basically. So basically, there's a lot of them walking around today. Yeah. Like me. Exactly. Right. But the problem is yeah. that they've never found the missing link that holds up Darwin's theory of evolution. They've never actually found where the progression was being made. Right. Never found that missing link. So. I think it was the aliens just kind of genetically engineering it the entire time. That's funny. I wonder how, I wonder why they can't find that. I wonder. Because it doesn't exist. You can't find something that doesn't exist, especially considering the aliens were genetically engineering humans throughout the entire history. Hmm, crazy. Anyways, now that we got that out of the way. Main topic. Are you ready for the main topic? Ben, what is the main topic? Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar, yes, sir. Bob Lazar. This is one of our favorite guys. One of our favorite guys. Like He's up there with Baker Mayfield in terms of well, one of the coolest. That, that's Pat's shit. Coolest guys that we talk about on 430. But Bob Lazar is a pretty interesting guy. Yeah, he is. Okay, Ben, can you tell our listeners who might not have listened to our From the Archives episode, who is Bob Lazar? Bob Lazar. Very interesting guy. So everybody knows about Area 51. Just about. Just about everybody. Now, not everybody was alive in 1989. No, they were not. When he came out with this shit. I wasn't even alive back then. He came out with this shit, went public in 1989 with George Knapp. KLAS-TV in Las Vegas. Yes, sir. And we're going to be getting into what he came out with. Yes. Okay. But just a little background. And this is the guy that basically put Area 51 on the map. Basically, I'm Basically. just going to say it. He came out and said that he worked on alien spacecraft at Area 51. I was getting there, damn it. I thought you were going to go into a whole backstory. I am. Which we got to start with what, you can't just say he said something and then go into his backstory without no, saying. No, no, no. I was, just, I was just saying, I was giving like a precursor to the kind of what the topic is. Oh, okay. And then, yeah. So it's going to be about Area 51. It's basically what I was getting at. All right, I'm just going to shut then... up. I'm just going to shut up and let you do your thing now. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a complete asshole. You're fine. You're good. <laughs> So, Bob Lazar, born in Coral Gables, Florida. 
I forgot to write the damn date down. 1959. 1959. January of 1959. Genu- January of 1959. Thank you, Pat. 126, 1959. Yes, Coral Gables, Florida. So early on in his age, he pretty much had an aptitude for technology. Yes, he did. Uh, at a very young age. In his garage. He was, this, this was in the paper in his community, wasn't it? In his garage in high school, he pretty much built a jet engine. Well, he built one for his on his car, on, on his bicycle. On his bicycle. Then didn't he do something with his car? That's This is going to be later. And this is a very important piece of evidence. This is in the 80s, though, his whole car thing. Okay, the car thing's different. Yep. But, yeah, he built, like, a jet engine for his damn bicycle in high school. And even his mom will talk about it. Right, definitely. So, we're going to be getting into his education because the history of his education where he claimed that he went is very controversial. Yes. And Pat knows a lot about this shit. Yes, I do. So, his education, right, verified is his high school. We There is verifiable evidence that he went to high school and he graduated in 1976 from Westbury High School in New York. Correct. 1978, he gets a bachelor's degree in physics and electronics, Pacifica University. But that is not what it used to be called, correct? We don't even know if Pacifica University actually exists. Or he went to Pierce College. He went to Pierce Junior College in in 76. So the year he graduated high school, the next semester he was at Pierce Junior College. The problem is that is in California, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. So he graduated high school, moved to California, was taking classes. Right. This is where it gets controversial guys yep because that's it that is the all of his verifiable like colleges come out and having records of him right that is where it ends yeah pierce i I should have mentioned pierce college before pacifica university yeah yeah pierce college was before that we don't know if pacifica even exists anymore or if it ever existed pacifica was a correspondence university which was and i I said this in the uh the original tape too okay i couldn't remember it's the precursor to a online university it's a correspondence university so you're writing in basically okay you're doing your coursework via mail essentially right so it's a lot of people won't even recognize it as a degree As a from, university from a correspondence university but he graduated in 1978 according to himself right. which is it's it's possible especially a sure. correspondence school it's possible to get that done you think there'd be a record of something like that you would think there'd be a record of the school at least existing right and that's the problem is people people cannot figure out if this place actually existed let alone if it was accredited now you would think if it, if it was an accredited university there would have to be some record of it right. existing i mean it's not like it's ancient history this is 78 we're talking about right so that was 1978 1982 he gets a master's of science in physics from mit cambridge massachusetts yep and that is not verified there's no evidence of that and as far as we know and there's no way that once a school there that remembers him being there right so and all this comes into play because the guy's a physicist so supposedly supposedly he's a supposedly <laughs> And we're going to be getting into the big claims. Yes. But all this all this information about his background and education is very important. Yep. 1985, his second master's in electronic technology from Caltech, California. So, and the only evidence they had there was a friend gave him a ride to class. There were, I think there were two people that said that. And in that kind of ridiculous documentary yeah. on Netflix, uh, didn't they didn't they get some type of uh, quote from them, but they wouldn't do an interview? And they have they run into that problem a lot. In, yeah. in, in that documentary. Yeah. Uh, basically, in the documentary, they interviewed a couple of people that said that they they took him to campus at Caltech back in '85. Yeah. And they said the one guy said that if he wasn't going to school there, he was certainly doing 
doing a really good job of making it look like he was taking classes there. So you think he was just maybe just walking in on the the classes? People do that. Sit, people do that. There? People do do that. That's possible. Or just hang out in the library. Yeah. Especially if you look like a student, a lot of people aren't going to question you being there. It wasn't this wasn't before? This was before all the high high security shit was going on. Right. That's a possibility. So, I mean, I guess. But and supposedly he did his thesis in physics on magnetohydrodynamics, which I don't know what the hell any of that shit is. Tim knows what hydrodynamics. Tim knows about everything. Yes, Tim does definitely knows about hydrodynamics. So wow, good Tim. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. So Pat, why don't you get into a little bit of his work history as well, because that's controversial as well. Okay. So in 1980, his first job that he lists himself working at. And real quick, pay attention to the dates. Yep. Because th- this is important. So 1980, he would have been 21 at the time. Yes. He got married in California at age 21 and was working at a place called Fairchild Industries. Yep. Which I don't know anything about this Fairchild Industries, but it pops up a lot in a lot of different conspiracy places that I look. Hmm. So I'm working on a theory about Fairchild Industries right now. Okay. Because there's something shady going on there that I think could answer a lot of the Bible's are questions if people know what to look for. Okay. Now, I think this is verifiable. I think this is actually verified that he worked at Fairchild Industries. I think there are records of him working there. Right. What he was doing, we don't really know. Right. But this would have been in the San Fernando Valley. So I think that's I think it's still California or that's that's southwest at least. Right. Uh in 1982, he began working at Los Alamos, supposedly, which is the Right. Department I think it's Department of Energy now. It's that big laboratory in New Mexico. I'm pretty sure it's New Mexico. Yeah. But what's what's crazy to me about that whole thing, what you just went over there? Yes. Is that in 1982, he graduates from MIT on the got East Coast. Med, on the East Coast. And was also working at... And also working at Los Alamos because it takes a couple of years to get your master's. And he started working at Fairchild in 1980. Yeah. So how do you do that? It could. He could, like, we could said... Could you pull that off? We, we talked about this in the recording as well. You could do it in a year. I haven't listened to the recording in a long time. You could probably... You could probably... <laughs> you could probably get it done in a year. Really? If, you, if you're working hard. If you're smart. I don't know, man. That's rough. But still, yeah. It raises questions immediately. Like, he's, like, bouncing across the coast. Yeah. And when Bob Lazar gets confronted with this, he just argues that you shouldn't be worried about the minutia of his educational career. Yeah, that's not Which a you good... would think that he would have, like, a good, like, a concise timeline typed out guy as smart as he is right to map out how all this fits together right because he lived it and i'll I'll tell you what like a really good uh thing to watch with bob lazar is the joe rogan episode yeah i've seen it i've seen it it's really good and he makes his all his claims sound very convincing yeah when when, when he's talking about it so back to his work history we're gonna get this wrapped up real quick sure in 1986 he filed for bankruptcy for three hundred thousand dollars and listed his occupation as a photo processor apparently he was trying to start a photo processing business in 1986. So this is after Los Alamos, after Fairchild Industries, and after he earned two master's degrees, he filed for bankruptcy, <laughs> which I guess he probably racked up a lot of debt because he couldn't have been working and doing all of this at the same time. Right. There's no way. But he listed his occupation as a photo processor. Hmm. How does that make any sense? It doesn't. <clears throat> and then in December, of, well, I got one more I want to get into real quick. Sure. In 1987, he started his Desert Blast Festival, which we talked about as well. 
<laughs> yes. Where they just blow shit up in the Nevada desert. Right. So this has been going on since 1987. In 1988, in December, he supposedly got hired by the Office of Naval Intelligence to go work at S-4, which is the offshoot of Area 51. Yep. And he worked there from December 1988 until April of 1989. And S-4 does exist. It does. Yes. It is on a map. Okay. And that I guess the interesting thing is, is that Area 51 was talked about prior to him, but not a whole lot. Right. He was the first one to talk about S-4. Yeah, and Area 51 wasn't even officially declassified until, what, 13? What was it? Something like that. It was recent. Officially, officially, like, verified by the government that it actually exists. Obviously, we knew about it forever, but now we're going to get into what he claims because all this is building up to his 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 world-changing claims, basically. Right. So what, in 1989, what did he do? So, 1989, he gets recruited to work at S-4, and what he did was he basically reversed engineered alien spacecraft yes pretty crazy shit man he spent five months working there yep what i thought it was six it was december to april was it okay December day? Because he went public in May. Ah, you're right. In May of '89. So yeah. some of the things that he went over in the Joe Rogan episode was the first like couple days of uh, being recruited and the things that he did when he first got there. Sure, it was pretty interesting. So what he did was um, they gave him like a briefing book about the different spacecrafts and extraterrestrials that they had, and it was basically and it was also talking about the history between extraterrestrials and about ten thousand years of history with aliens. Yeah, uh, and humans and extraterrestrials. And I found that part interesting. Yeah, which is which is crazy. And his claims line up with everything else that my research lines up with. So right, that's interesting. For sure. Some of the things that he that he says make sense because he was only, he doesn't know everything about the spacecrafts because for security reasons they only showed him one particular part of it. Yeah, and he's very clear about that in everything you talk about how car- pe- yeah. compartmentalized the research was. Yep. And how scientists were not allowed to communicate with other people working on other parts of the ship. Yep. And that caused for a lot of issues because sometimes he needed to communicate with a a different part of the ship to see how something worked and he wasn't they weren't able to communicate with them yep so that's why they it's probably a part of the reason why they haven't made much progress and we're going to be getting into what they're trying to make progress with yes so what he claims is that at the time the undiscovered element 115 was basically the the matter that was making these things work the fuel the fuel for lack yes. of a better word for lack of a better word <laughs> 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 Why did I say matter? Jesus. Yes, the fuel that made these things work, right? Element 115 is, is also called Muscovium. Which wasn't founded until, what, 2003? It wasn't synth- synthesized until 2003. And even when it was synthesized, they were only able to keep it stable for seconds or something like that. And they remade it in 2000... They made it. They remade it in 2013. Okay. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, I don't so have any... So he, 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 basically, he basically predicted this element that became true. Now, the one thing that needs to be said is... Is that the atomic mass scale, you know what what is theoretically possible. So right. he probably anybody any idiot knew that element one fifteen was possible. Right. But he he kind of discovered it, which is pretty crazy. I, if you want to give him credit for that, <laughs> why go not? For it. Why not? Now what's interesting is that he claims that he got some out of the laboratory, which that's like, that's like he got like what do you mean he like got he smuggled some? some out. Oh shit. I didn't hear that's that. That's what he <laughs> he now he doesn't 
completely claim it, but okay, there's a lot of evidence pointing towards the fact that he got some out. Right. Now, he also claimed that the ship used uh, three anti-gravity cylinders underneath the ship that could swivel the ship in 180-degree or 360-degree patterns, and they acted as uh, gravity amplifiers. So, and what he was what he was told to do was try and get one of these cylinders open, I'm pretty sure, and they couldn't because it was this is anti-gravity. I don't even know what the hell anti-gravity is, but yeah, what, I, they were able to create it, this alien technology. This propul- It was a propulsion system is what yeah, yeah. they thought it was. Yeah, and it was basically something that manipulated gravity. Exactly. And it's beyond it's beyond our technology. Yes. And they haven't been able to really get anywhere. At least publicly. At least publicly, true. And at the top of the ship, there were three gravity emitters. So anti-gravity waves were formed by the reactor. No, not the cylinders. The reactor is what they tried to get open. The anti-gravity reactor. Sure. And that amp- so the anti-gravity waves formed by the reactor, and that was amplified then emitted from the bottom of the ship through the cylinders at the top that would ro- and that would rotate the ship in any direction that they wanted it to go. That's how the mobility of them were so good. The theoretical idea behind that makes sense right. to an extent. Yeah. And also, which is kind of interesting, is he says that for a brief second he saw all the hangars open, and he saw like nine other spacecraft. Yeah, he said that there were a total of nine. Right, but he was allowed to see any of the other ones know what they did or anything like that. Yeah. And what I also thought was interesting was, you know how in the movies, the UFOs, the disc shape, and they fly like a disc, like you throw a, like yeah. a frisbee? Yeah. They kind of fly like that. He says that's inaccurate. Okay. That they actually fly belly up with the cylinders pointing out so it could maneuver it. No, that makes sense. Yeah. So he said that's actually how they fly. And we also, he took friends out there to watch flight tests of these yeah. of these spacecraft and he went out they went out there like three times and he ended up getting caught this is what got him fired this is what got him fired from the project supposedly right now that was a pretty good breakdown of his claims and if you watch the documentaries you can get more into his breakdown of the physics sorry but, I'm, I'm i don't know what any of this shit means i just say it. i yeah. just reported what i looked into basically uh, and the sum that up is he claims he was working on for five months he was working on alien spacecraft at area 51 they didn't understand how any of it worked. He was very carpe- the re- the work was very cart cut. The work was very compartmentalized, so right. he didn't have access to everything. But he claims that work was being done and was probably still being done. He even claims that he thinks he replaced a scientist that died during one of the experiments. Yeah, prior. he did say that. Yep. Um. So that I thought that was pretty interesting. And what was the guy's name that he worked with? He was kind of a character. The guy he worked yeah, with. Yeah, it was like it was like a nerdy name, like. <sighs> Bill? Something. I can't remember. But he's been talking about this for 30 years, and he even said that at one point, like, the government was trying to assassinate him, which is why he went public. Yes. So that if something mysterious happened to Bob Lazar, it could look like the government had a hand in it. Yes. And the reason, supposedly, why his education is so controversial is because he claims that the government has completely erased his history. And that's interesting, too. Now You, you can't even find his birth certificate. You can't find anything about this guy. And a lot of people will point to that being all well, he's just making it up. The problem is, is there's there's bits and pieces of evidence that they're gonna the skeptics are gonna try to explain away, but it doesn't make sense. Like it makes even right his real life makes less sense if the claims aren't accurate. Right. What was really going on makes less sense because he did work at Los Alamos because there's a newspaper article highlighting him again with one of his jet engines in 1982 that was published in Los Alamos and had him working at Los Alamos. Yeah, and didn't they find his name in a phone directory? In a phone directory. Yes. Now the phone directory 
of course, got destroyed, and you can't find that anymore. But his name was at least in the phone directory. Right. And it makes sense that somehow, some way, they would miss something. And he he gets into detail about the threats on his life in the Joe Rogan episode, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. The Joe Rogan episode is better than the documentary on Netflix. If, yeah, it by is. By Jeremy Corbell. It is. Is that his name? Isn't Jeremy Corbell on the Joe Rogan interview as well? He, he is. And, yeah, he's kind of annoying. Well, the problem with that documentary, first of all, there are many problems with that documentary. <laughs> but Jeremy Corbell, he, he's involved in too much too much shit. Like, he's into the aliens, but he's also, he's a mixed, he calls himself a mixed media artist. He's also a mixed martial artist. Right. He's a fashion designer. He does all this shit. He's got too much shit going too on. Too much shit going on. And none of it's that, like, the quality isn't is never that great. Like, he's just, he's just kind of into himself and doing whatever he's interested in. Eh, good for him, I guess. I guess. Like, I'm not going to criticize him. because you, you can't really criticize a content creator. Right. Who's actually sure. going out there trying to make stuff. For sure. But, like, in the documentary, he, he focuses on his phone getting text messages a lot in the documentary. And if you look at the date on his phone compared to the date when the text messages are coming in, it's completely different dates. Like, he's getting texts from the future at one point. <laughs> <laughs> at one point in the documentary. So, I don't, I don't know about that. That was kind of weird to me. Yeah, definitely. But he at least got some good interview footage with Bob. Now, I don't think sure. Bob was super impressed with him at first because he was kind of confrontational towards Jeremy. Yeah. Especially earlier on in that documentary. Yeah. So that was interesting. Bob, Bob doesn't like talking about this anymore. He, he never really did. He never like really did. And he didn't want to do the Joe Rogan episode. Yeah, but I'm happy that he did. Yeah, because it's it's really good. Now, we got to finish up the timeline real quick because we got one more major event sure. we got to break down. Sure. And we... The timeline's pretty much done. He get he, he gets he gets fired. And what also he gets into, which he doesn't like talking about, was they wiretapped his phones after he got fired, right? Well, they were wiretapping his phones well, the entire time. The whole time. time. Yeah. Right. But after he got fired, he they figured out, they told him that his wife was cheating on him. Yep. Which is absolutely crazy. Exactly. And that led to his first of several divorces. <laughs> Pat's going to get more into what, what's going on after after uh, S4. <laughs> yeah, because after all of this, after, after he came forward publicly claiming to be working on aliens or whatever, you know, he wasn't really hireable because he, he couldn't make it as a photo processor right. or whatever. And he wasn't going to get hired as a scientist anywhere. So he had to kind of look in a different direction to make some money. And he turned it in a totally different direction. Luckily, he you. lived in the state of Nevada, <laughs> which has certain activities that are legalized. To an extent. To an extent. So he decided, he, he basically became friends with a couple hookers and decided that he was going to handle the business end of <laughs> prostitution for them is basically what he thought his plan was. The problem is, is he essentially turned his apartment into a brothel. Yep. And <laughs> it, it didn't go well for him. And Come he got, on, Bob. He got busted. He got busted almost immediately for this one. That's so funny. And they took him to court and they were basically portraying him as like a like big pimp. Right. When it's this nerdy little dork. <laughs> He does scientist. look like a nerd, man. And he ended up, I think he pled guilty to felony pandering, or I don't know if it's a felony. I think it was a felony, because he was facing felony charges throughout all of this. Right. And the, the charges that he was getting pressed with are not charges that really get prosecuted in the state of Nevada, at least. Right. They threw the they threw everything at him. They were going to hold him to every single rule possible. You know, that's interesting. Why yeah. would why would, why would they, they why would they, why pay would special, they... special interest to this failed photo processor? <laughs> right. Why 
why are they bringing the hammer down on a nobody? Exactly. So it, it brings up the question as to whether or not this was because of it's possible him leaking documents. It's very possible. And they couldn't arrest him or they couldn't take him out for no reason. So this gave him some reason to really put the put the pressure on him. Because if they were to arrest him for no reason, that would immediately make his claims look a lot truer than they otherwise would. Right. So the biggest thing with this, though, is that he, under oath, he claimed that everything that he said was true. His master's degrees from MIT and Caltech were real. And when they were looking for the records of it because they wanted to verify it. Right. They were like, this guy's lying under oath. And the, the, the charges that he was getting faced with were getting more significant if you're going right. to be lying under oath or not throughout the entire thing. Right. So that's interesting that he would keep the story yeah. up afterwards, and after he, the fact. And you know, um, what I really liked about the Joe Rogan interview is for all this time, he's been very accurate on his claims. Consistent. Yes. Probably, he, yeah. That's what I meant to say. Consist- he's been very accurate for what he said back then, so he's been very consistent. That's pretty extraordinary. It's hard to do because, you know, normally when people, like, commit murders or and they're, they get away from it for a long time, they usually slip up somewhere and they lie and they yeah. gotta change their story. Exactly. Bob doesn't really do that. No. And people are gonna harp on small inconsistency like that's proof that he's lying. No. It's almost more impressive if he, it's almost more problematic if he keeps the story exactly straight exactly. the entire time. Exactly. Because little things, anybody, I could tell a story ten different times over the course of ten years. Exactly. It's gonna sound different even though I'm not lying about any of it. You know what sure, I mean? Sure, sure. So, this is 30, 31, 32 years now of accuracy because he came out in May of 1989. This is May of two, 2021. Right. That's 32 years. And the guy genuinely just wants to be alone he wants to be left alone basically he doesn't want anyone to be around him <laughs> yeah except for hookers but except for hookers so now we got to break down after a couple of years we've had a couple of years to let this simmer right is he telling the truth what do, do you think you know i i'm an honest lean towards yes Okay. Uh, the only thing that I have hangups are are from his uh, education. Yes, you, you don't you don't find it possible for him to obtain the degrees that he got. I, I feel like with the timeline and where he worked, I feel like it'd be very difficult to do that. Yeah, but I, I can understand. You know, if he was flying back and forth between, maybe that's why he racked up debt. Yeah, that's possible. I can see it. Sure, but it's like I find it, getting your master's degree is very involved. I understand if you're really good, you can do it in a year, but I doubt you're working and doing it in a yeah, year. It's I tough. highly doubt that. It's tough. So those are my that's my biggest hang up. I can totally see um, you know, I'm not a physicist, but the way he describes I did a terrible job at describing the the way the ship the spacecrafts work. Sure. But he does a great job at describing it in the interview and I'm like, man, that makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense to the casual observer. The problem is that scientists try to claim that it makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, but I now, don't know, it sounds good to me. <laughs> now the problem with that too is just because a scientist has a degree doesn't mean that actually know nearly exactly. as much as exactly the world will give them credit for. And if you are a physicist who's been studying real world physics, to have even the possibility that this type of physics exists that Bob Lazar is talking about right. makes everything that you're doing irrelevant. Yep. Because obviously there are people out there doing stuff that's way far advanced, way more important and can change the world completely than dealing with. There's a lot of scientists out there that say a lot of crazy shit that makes sense that other scientists will be like, nah, you're, you're crazy as shit. 
shit. And then, like, theoretical physics is honestly just making stuff up. Exactly. Like, uh, you ever you ever look into uh, Grand, Graham Hancock, a lot of the stuff that he says about nah, you know, physics in the, in the universe and stuff like that? I can't say that I have. Look, look him up on Joe Rogan, too. He he says some pretty incredible stuff. It makes sense, a lot of it. Yeah, and that's the thing, is that just people think that they got their education, they think that they know everything there is to know about a right. certain topic, and it's threatening to your livelihood. Right. Let alone your self-esteem if there's alien spacecraft out there that operate against the laws of physics as we understand them, you know? Right. So that, I can understand why the scientific community would be so so adamantly against Bob Lazar because that sure. pulls up everything for them if it's even remotely true. And I'm sure there's a lot of narratives in the field. Oh, yeah, there definitely are. The Mo- academia, money, academia is a toxic... Money and... It's a toxic group yeah. of people. There's they don't, they don't do nearly as much good in the world as they act like they do. For sure. Outside of maybe medical medicine, is different engineering to an extent but a lot of it it's too big it's too big and it's too sure it's too overreaching anyways i got a few things that i think are evidence for bob lazar sure first of all he did he claims that he goes hired through a contractor called eg and g which i don't know if you remember that in the documentary at all or in the recording but that's an actual government contractor that does contract scientists for this type of work right so the fact that he knew that and was able to verify and he's able to verify some people that work there now obviously they're going to claim that he didn't go there right but he at least knew who the contractor was. And the, the documentary allegedly got an interview, or yeah, they got an interview with the guy that recruited him. And then he worked uh, at this EG&G company. That, yeah, that but they, they wouldn't get him on the record or on, on tape. Yeah, and that's interesting. The second, well, and the other thing, too, is he claimed he worked for the Office of Naval Intelligence. Mm-hmm. Or that's who his technical employer was during this time at S4. Right. And that's that's accurate, too. That's who conducts a lot of these tests. And he was so. very he was, he was was accurate with the way the employees get to Area 51 on a daily basis. He was, you know, how they get to work and all that. So he was pretty accurate with that. And he definitely, we he worked at Los Alamos some way, somehow. Yeah. So there, the evidence, there that almost points to evidence of him getting his record scrubbed mm-hmm. because he worked there like there why would a news article come out right and a phone directory name pop up how could they miss that would though? he just be like impersonating like hi i'm out here with my jet car i work at los alamos so how would nobody <laughs> question this back then you know right that's true how would nobody be like oh that's just the asshole that the lunatic the raving lunatic that is the imposter basically right that would that would have came out pretty quickly it wouldn't get into the newspaper doesn't matter what the newspaper was it wouldn't make it into the newspaper sure uh he also kept the story well we talked about he kept the story straight for 30 years he also knew when those test flights were going down yep wednesdays right Something like that. But Wednesday. he knew, and he was able to get video evidence, and there were eyewitnesses that were able to go there. That's true. So either he was really just lucky or good at predicting when these test flights went down, or he knew. You know, what's really funny about that is they only did it for three days, and in the interview he was kind of like, yeah, we kind of we kind of started like getting a little, you know, we started a little having a little too fun out there. We ended up taking an RV out there. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you only did it for three days. You already took an RV out there? It's hilarious. Yeah. Well, he's, he's a bold guy. <laughs> Guy. There's no right. There's no mistake in that. So let me ask you this: Do you think that it's possible that he's a government agent and that he works for the CIA? Um, it's possible. It could be. It could be a way to get some of this information out to the public. Kind of like a soft disclosure, basically. Yes, that's an interesting take. And that's if at this point, doing all this research, there's no way that he just made this shit up out of the blue. I as agree. far as I'm concerned, I, I, I can't. I can't. I don't think he made it up either. There's too many moving parts for it just to be a complete fabrication. There, he would slip I, I up. 
sorry too many times, and there wouldn't be enough evidence pointing in his direction. Even if it's small things like him getting a contract right, he'd have to be awfully good and doing an awful lot of work for not an awful lot of profit over 30 years, basically, or 40 years if you think about it. Right. Because he would have been, he would have had to have been working on the spot since high school, essentially, for the timeline to fit. If right. you think about it, definitely. So there's no way that I don't think that there, he he couldn't just be making this shit up. Right. Now there's a guy in the book that I brought over here that I'm not gonna actually use, but I brought it over here. Behold the Pale Horse was written by Bill Cooper. Mm-hmm. This guy is a lunatic. Like he's dead now. He got killed because uh, he got into a shootout with the police because he Jesus. thought that he thought that they were invading him. Oh my god! <laughs> but this guy's a character, and he's a pretty good conspiracy theorist, like author. He claims that Bob Lazar is a CIA agent. Okay. Because he's got names of other CIA agents, including. Is <coughs> Bob Lazar has names? No, William Cooper has names of okay. CIA agents. Okay. His connection with Bob Lazar in the book is kind of tenuous. He just kind of thinks that Bob Lazar fits the mold of these other guys. But Satan Friedman, I don't know if you know about him. Yes. William Cooper will say that he was a government agent that was on the government payroll to do re- UFO research, basically. Okay. John Lear, I don't know if you remember that name. He was, he's another guy. He was, he, he was Condor. I don't know if you know who Condor was. This guy that would go out and like anonymously disclose alien shit back in the 80s. William Cooper is positive yeah. that it was this John Lear guy who's publicly okay. like a MUFON person. And then Bud Hopkins, who we talked about, you talked about him in one of the alien episodes. One of the authors that collected stories or whatever. Yeah. He was also a government agent, according to Okay. Bill Cooper. <laughs> so Bill Cooper's right about a lot of his shit because he like pre- he predicted 9-11. He predicted a lot of the shit that's going on. He's saying that Bob Lazar is part of the group. Now, when this book was written, was right after Bob Lazar made his claims. When did so, when did he predict 9-11? It, was, it would have been in the 90s. Early 90s? Probably. That's impressive. <laughs> like, he knew about that type of shit. But he, he said that Bob Lazar was just part of this grand CIA disinformation plot. So whether that's true or not, I don't know. But Satan Friedman was the one. Disinformation plot? Disinformation. Now, Satan Friedman, we talked talked about in the recording did a lot of research on Bob Lazar and determined that he had to have been lying and he's the one that mapped out that timeline pretty well yeah but Satan Friedman was also paid by the government to investigate himself so they they wanted to find out if Satan Friedman was a verifiable UFO source <laughs> they paid Satan Friedman to investigate himself according to Bill Cooper Makes which that doesn't, that doesn't make any sense <laughs> at all so that that kind of throws a little bit of shade on yeah but it makes it kind of very makes more plausible the idea of Bob Lazar being a government agent at least it, it kind of makes sense it kind of aligns with the theory that maybe uh the government is creating their own spacecraft and will fake an invasion on us which bill cooper talks about that too yeah. or something very similar <laughs> to that yeah uh and it's D- interesting you, you get how in my brain I, I in my brain i see how that correlates can you can you see that yes exactly and there are a lot of conspiracy theorists out there that have obtained lists by secret societies that were written in the early 20th century on ideas to control population without using warfare. Mm-hmm. And one of the ideas is to fabricate an alien invasion. So It would probably work. And they came up with this in the 30s. Damn. So anyways, obviously there's no there's no real technological evidence to support Bob Lazar because right. not, nobody nobody else has come forward to say, hey, it's, this shit's real. So I don't know. That, that kind of concerns me a little bit. Yeah. The, the, the fact that no one else has come out yeah. is kind of concerning. He claims in some in the interviews that he expected somebody to eventually come forward. Now, if you think about it, if he was really getting attacked and having his tires shot out by government agents in the 90s or late 80s, obviously threats would have been levied against every other scientist in the building. Right. We're going to kill you. We're going to kill your family if you say one word about this shit. Maybe somebody was getting ready to and got killed and nobody talked about it because he wasn't even a public figure back then. True. So you got that end going on. And they haven't killed Bob because if they did, then everybody would be like, yep. Maybe coming out is the way to 
to protect yourself. That's what he says. That's his claim. Is that that makes sense? I mean, it really does. And he also underwent hypnosis, and supposedly more details came out in hypnosis. Things that he wouldn't weren't on the forefront of his memory. Yeah, about his time there. Uh, he's passed lie detector tests, which uh, those are just anxiety detectors. Yeah, tests. yeah. But uh, he he does talk about what's kind of interesting in the in the Joe Rogan episode is only one time, one time he got to go into a different part of the ship. He actually went into like the cockpit of the of one of the ships and he describes what the instruments looked like how they steered the ship and all that shit yeah and he, he said it was made for like somebody that was like four feet tall exactly and one thing that people complain about with that part of the story is that he said that there was no decor in the ship yeah there's no decor which why would an alien spacecraft have decor on it exactly. like why would he bring that up there's a dumb detail to bring up kind of so people but think that, that you, that's the reason why he's lying i think you would ex- i think as you, you would expect something not as dull as it was as what he described like at least in like star trek there's there's like different colors on the, you, you know what i mean like think of uh think of the millennium falcon you have different colored shit the millennium falcon's pretty dull though yeah but you know on the arches they got the yellow thing there but this isn't yeah. sci-fi this is science reality i know i'm just saying like do you imagine it being 100 percent all the same thing i don't know yeah if it's an alien spacecraft absolutely efficiency mm, okay now let's think about it for this so let's say that the aliens are real sure. how are the pilots recruited by the alien species are these like like our pilots where it's mostly like military people is this their version of the military what kind of training do these guys have or are they the most are they the adventurous ones maybe these aliens were part of a military organization and just took their ship rogue and just went rogue AWOL for a while and came to earth it could be what we are in the future so they're time travelers it's possible I can see it are they are they interdimensional travelers maybe the reason why they can't figure out this gravity drive or whatever the fuck he claims it is is Mm -hmm. because it's doing something different in a different dimension that's true maybe in the third dimension it just doesn't look like it's doing a whole lot outside of what it's doing but in the fourth dimension it's transporting across the galaxy right people don't think about that there might be just totally different ways of doing things in different dimensions and that's the one biggest problem we have with our current scientific community is it's dictated by it's dominated by humanists which are intensely materialistic and are against anything beyond what we can see feel and touch right so any hypothetical fourth dimension isn't even considered by a lot of these people when it comes to physics. You know, what, what's really interesting about different dimensions is when, when people take certain psychedelics and they witness the same thing, some people believe those are, you are entering different dimensions. And we don't know as nearly as much about chemistry and biology as we think right. we do. Right. If you think about it this way, we can only see the visible spectrum of light. But there's infrared rays, there's ultraviolet rays, there's a whole spectrum that we can't see. Right. Maybe, and same thing with like radio waves and hearing. There are a whole lots of things that we just can't here even though they exist yep who isn't to say that the sense of touch or maybe we can only feel a certain spectrum of what's out there that's true and maybe there's another dimension out there that we just aren't attuned to or there's just areas that we can't you know or or uh these aliens are just from a different galaxy and it, it, it's taken them years to get here but they're just so far advanced and maybe maybe they're so far advanced they may not need a military they don't they just have the technology and they can just do it yeah that's true i, I don't know maybe that's interesting. They might be a civilization far beyond us. Yeah, one thing Bob brings up in the documentary that is important that a lot of people don't understand is we don't know what gravity is. That's yes. We don't understand yes. how gravity works. People are going to act like they do, right? but nobody's got a clue about gravity. And what he and how he explained the force around the ship when he was witnessing it. Yes. And he was like, if you threw like a penny or anything around that ship, it wouldn't touch the ship. It would fly off of it. Yeah. Because the gravity would, it's anti-gravity, so it would be pushing 
pushing it away, the propulsion would be pushing it away. Which, That's interesting too. Which kind of make it makes sense to me. I mean, I'm not I'm not a physicist, but it makes sense to my to me. Sure. And when you listen to Bob Lazar talk, it's it's I guess it's plausible that he just doesn't have the education, but it's tough to believe because he he works as a like a scientific resource distributor right now, mm-hmm. and he ships like hazardous chemicals across the country, and he gets in trouble for this it, too. He got yes, he got in trouble for shipping illegal shit. <laughs> and he claimed he like the FBI raided him, like raided his house and raided his business and everything. Right. He claims it was because of the whole element 115 thing. And he also claims he had a particle accelerator in his bedroom, which that doesn't <laughs> make even the most remote amount of sense to me. Yeah. Particle accelerators are big. Yeah. But he did work on one in Los Alamos. Supposedly. Supposedly. And there are people that worked at Los Alamos that remember seeing him around at least. Whether that's true or not, who knows. But Who knows? I don't know. Bob Lazar is one of the most interesting men in the world as far as I'm concerned. Me too, man. And, you know, I like I said earlier, I lean towards a yes because he's just so damn consistent. Uh, he's a smart guy. I mean, you can kind of see he kind of knows what he's talking about. Yeah. In some regard. So, I don't, I don't know. know. It's, it's worth researching. It's not something that should be immediately dismissed. A lot of pseudo-intellectuals are going to just gonna immediately be like, ah, this is made up. This is not real. Right. I have the truth. Right. Nobody has the truth. Nobody, nobody has, knows. Nobody has a fucking clue. Nobody knows what the hell is going on. And anyway. that's why we're doing this show because we at 4.30 in the morning, we don't have a clue either. At least we admit it. Tweet us at 30 in the if you don't know what the hell's going on either. And Bob Lazar, if you're out there and you're listening, please tweet us at 30 in the. I think he lives in Lansing right now, so he doesn't live too far away from us. Listen, Bob, if you're listening, if you want to come on the show and talk, you don't even have to talk about the shit that happened. You, you can just. We would rather just. We would rather talk about Desert Blast and. Yeah, you know, we would rather talk about shit you'd have fun talking about. We could about. do some on air pyrotechnic demonstrations. Yeah. I'll get our YouTube channel up for that one. Right. Social media is coming, guys. <laughs> it is coming. <laughs> 30 episodes in. Yeah, this is the episode we need uh, We need the social media. I can get it rolling. Definitely. We'll start a Facebook, maybe uh, maybe an Instagram. We can maybe post the articles. Yeah, that, that would work. Maybe article pictures. That makes more sense. Pictures, yeah. Like the, the arms that you brought up today. Sure, yep. Anyways, does that wrap up Bob Lazar? Was that, a, that was a pretty good... That was a good That was a good episode. It was pretty much a recycle of the old one, <laughs> but I, don't know, I think it, was, it, it didn't go too bad. No, it didn't. Anyways, uh, before we get out of here, we got to do a check on the numbers real quick. Sure. What do you think we're at? Last week we are at like 1180. What do you think we're at right now? Uh, 1215. 1264. Wow. That's awesome. 18 unique listeners <laughs> over the last week. So 18 people got on their fucking phones and listened to the show. That's fantastic. I don't know who these people are. 18? They're great. Thank you They're so great. much, We love guys. you guys. We appreciate all of this. This has been incredible. Wow. I didn't think we'd have that many. And there hasn't been much <laughs> negative coverage yet. Do we have any comments? Do we have any reviews or anything like that? Do we know about any of that? No, but my grandma is following us on Twitter now. No shit. So that, what, that's three followers? Four? We're up, we're up to five and a half. Because my mom's following us twice, I think. Because she created two Twitters accidentally. <laughs> so I think we technically got six. That's that's awesome. Thank you. So thank you to all our Twitter followers. We're not getting a lot of tweets, but... That's all right. Somebody likes almost every one of our posts. I don't know who it is, though. So Awesome. We get a little heart mark on most of them. Not all of them. That's most so of them. awesome. Thank you guys so much. The aliens don't get heart, heart marks. That's all right. But anyways, that's Bob Lazar. I think I pretty much covered everything I could cover about him. Yep. I've got two books, and these books are written in the 90s that have 
article or pieces about Bob Lazar. And mm-hmm. so there's awesome. a lot of details and there's a lot of room to research. If you want to research the Netflix documentary, uh, it's called like Bob Lazar something, Jeremy Corbell, which that could have been so much better if it was anybody but Jeremy Corbell directing it. Right. Because it starts off with like, I'm going to unleash your mind and weaponize your curiosity. <laughs> and it's, it's just like, like psychic, it's designed to be watched high is probably what it is. It's just corny punchlines. Like it's too much. This kind of, just, this, he just kind of an annoying guy. Yeah, he really, he really is. <laughs> but hey, kudos to him for you know at least he created the helping documentary, the, helping to bring out the Bob Lazar story. So that's cool too. And at least he got the chance to interview him. I'm surprised that he made that happen. And yeah, he he made the Joe Rogan thing happen. I think so. Yeah, that and that interview was fantastic. So and credit to George Knapp for bringing the story to the yep. forefront in the first place. And George Knapp is in a couple of these documents. He's in the Jerry Marker Bell one as well. So yep. He's still out there, and he hosts uh, Coast to Coast AM on Sunday nights right now. So if you want to listen to George Knapp, tune in to Coast to Coast AM. Yeah, he talks about a lot of cool stuff. Oh, that's a different show. That's going to be what we're going to be doing in like 40 <laughs> years when we're old, because we're going to be hosting Coast to Coast on like Tuesday nights or whatever after we're old and retired. So funny. Anyways, uh, I think that about wraps it up, doesn't it? I think so. That's it. So if you guys haven't checked it out, please check out our From the Archives episode. Again, the audio quality won't be as crisp, but... You guys will enjoy it. Probably will... more than this past one. <laughs> <laughs> probably will. You guys will probably like that one a lot better than this one. So on that note, we got to get out of here. So peace. What are you la- Why are you laughing? I haven't even started yet. I don't know. I just, I'm an, man. I'm, a, I'm an asshole. No, I'm an asshole. <laughs> You're good. Just giving you shit, man. And yeah, dude, but I couldn't believe I caught her. It's pretty impressive. Proud of myself. Like I you, don't know. You always dream of those moments. Yeah. Just like catching someone from falling. At least you provided you. I mean. <laughs> right. I'm proud of you, buddy. Thanks, man. Thanks. I'm not going to lie. I had a similar incident today <laughs> at my at my Boucher's house. <laughs> but there's not a lot of places to sit at my Boucher's house. <laughs> so you have seven I people. Understand. You have seven people in the living room slash dining room. That's a crowd. Like yeah. you're packed. Yeah. You're packed in there. Yep. So me and Tim are two of the youngest people that are there. The only one younger is our cousin, and we don't like to make her sit on the floor that we feel mean about it. So right. me and Tim are always the idiots that have to sit on the floor. Always. <laughs> Fucking back starts hurting and shit. So I'm down there for a good hour and a half sitting there. I didn't really get up. I oh. just kind of plopped myself down because I wasn't – I'm not just going to keep getting up and going down. Right. But I'm, I'm in, my, in my condition. Damn near uh, strain your hamstring. Exactly. Well, I'm sitting there on my leg, and of course it falls asleep. Because you know how legs fall asleep? Yep. Now, this is the entire leg fell asleep. Now, usually I'm able to, like, just kind of, like, will it away pretty quickly. Right. Today, it wasn't waking up as quickly. So, I stood up. I used Tim's head to kind of get myself up, and I went straight up. And it was a little bit wobbly at first. I'm like, okay, I'm up. And then my knee just <laughs> buckled sideways. <laughs> like, hardcore. That's so funny. It was like, you ever see that video of the bridge wobbling? Yes. It, that's what it looked like. That's hilarious. And I was right in front of my dad. My dad was sitting in the recliner, like, literally closer than you and I are sitting right now. And I almost went down right on top of him. I ended up catching myself on Tim's head again, so I was good. That's so funny. But it was just like... <laughs> Dude, I have a really embarrassing story to tell you. All right. Dude, that's so funny because... At my parents' house, in my old bedroom, the yeah. small one, before Josh moved out. Yep. I used to sit at my desk, and it had, like, a shelf underneath that, that was, like, suspended from underneath the desk. Okay. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. 
So I would be on my computer, like playing something or doing whatever homework, and I would have my feet up, and I would cross my feet, okay, like this. Yeah, I'd sit like that for hours, and one night, my leg fell asleep. Like my foot, all the way up to my ankle, literally to where my foot was crossed over it. Sure. Yeah. And it was kind of like both feet too. It was really bad, man. I thought I could do it. I thought I could walk. I was like, no, nah, I'm good. Dude, I literally fell and I like smacked my forehead on the doorknob of my oh room. Oh my god! It hurt so bad, dude. It hurt <laughs> so bad. Like I probably got a concussion from it. That shit's hilarious, dude. Oh, it hurts so bad. 